Hi, everybody. Welcome to the February 8th, 2019 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's get a quick take on a bill at the Colorado legislature that passed the House Committee this week that would prohibit restaurants from distributing straws to customers unless they specifically ask for one. Pat Cahoon from Westward, might this be the overreach we were wondering about a couple weeks ago? Well, at the same time, they can also say we can't declaw kitties and what else, and no plastic bags at grocery stores. Consumers are already putting the arm on restaurants. Consumers who care about this, a lot of restaurants have adopted the no straws unless you request or recyclable straws or washable straws. I don't really think this is what our state lawmakers need to get involved in. I tend to agree. Krista Kafer from uh, both the columnist of the Denver Post and radio talk show host on KHOW. Uh, I am neither here to defend or curse the uh, plastic straw, but is it important enough to legislate? Um, I think it's a little silly, and I, uh, I I barely ever use straws. I try to limit single-use pa- uh, plastic uses, but this makes me want to bust out and start like a black market, maybe even like a pirate straw movement, and uh, try to break the law. <laughs> Not the first time it's been inspired around this table. Eric Sondran, political analyst, uh, thank you for joining us. What do, you know, this is, it seems like kind of usual legislative fodder where you get kind of a silly bill. Uh, does it stick to anybody uh, as more than just silly? No, probably there's some on the on the far left, uh, the Boulder crowd, the Aspen crowd, whatever that you know will cheer the sponsors of this and throw a few dollars in their coffers. My comment will be the same as it usually is when there's something completely trivial uh, like this, which is it's probably good news because if our attention is devoted to this, by God, all the big problems uh, must be under control. I flash back to Starbucks last summer when they sort of tried to have a PR moment around straws. And then it came out soon afterward that their solution was going to use more plastic, the new, the new caps that they were putting on their cups in place of uh, straws. We're going to use more plastic than the straws. <laughs> Ran into the panel, Natasha Gardner, articles editor with 5280. Uh, a real issue or just a slow news week? Well, what I think is interesting about this is obviously these straws have captured the interest of the general public for for good reason. People are looking at how they dispose of things, how they recycle things. What um, is interesting about this particular bill is that it opened it up so it's not completely mandatory. And that is in large reaction to the disability or activists who work with the disability community who came out and said, no, this isn't this isn't an option for many people. This is something that they actually need. So kudos to, make, to making some adjustments to that ruling to, to account for those, those those individuals. Governor Jared Polis announced this week that the Colorado Department of Labor and Employment will not intervene in the work dispute between DPS and the Denver Teachers Union. If the two sides do not come to terms this weekend, the union will proceed with a strike on Monday. DPS has announced its commitment to keep all schools open during a strike except for some early childhood classes. Patty, did Governor Polis make the right call here? I think he did early on. Let, let's see if they can still work this out. This doesn't mean he can't come in later if he has to, but we've got negotiations going on right as this show will air. They're going to be meeting again. They're fairly close on money, but we're beginning to see maybe this isn't so much about the money. To the people outside DPS and the union, 
the money sounds like it sounds like teachers are doing fairly well. That's the blowback we get. Like, oh, I wish I only had to work nine months a year and I got this amount of money. But when you look at it, it really is the opportunity to reward certain people. It's the whole pro-comp issue, so that's going to come up. There are unintended consequences here. We reported this morning that because of those early childhood education classes, they'd be canceled on Monday. Now the state is allowing daycare centers to opt out of the state legislated um, limits on how many kids teachers can have. So all of a sudden, you'll go from 10 toddlers in a daycare center to who knows how many. So there are unintended consequences here. It's going to be limiting SNCC and orphanage in some of these places. Okay, I get what you're or saying. Or us before the show starts. <laughs> That's true. For bad behavior. <laughs> that kind of chaos. Uh, Krista, uh, teachers unions did not back uh, Jared Polis in the primary. They uh, backed Kerry Kennedy. Uh, it wasn't as if Jared Polis was that far away from him, but he's, he's been his own thinker on a variety of education issues. Do you think he's back in their good graces after uh, this kind of a move? I think it's likely why he made the decision not to intervene. I mean, he was not their first choice. He supports charter schools. In the past, he's supported vouchers. This is his way of saying, I'm your friend. I will not intervene. Let the strike go forward if that's the way it goes. I think the sad thing here is that you've got uh, kids that are not going to be able to get regular instruction. And after the government shutdown, don't you think the public's a little tired of drama and impasses? They want to see compromise. Pro-comp is, is a good thing. It gets teachers into challenging schools and rewards them with bonuses. And teachers are pretty well compensated in the district. So I hope this result is resolved today, but it may not be. A strike, though, may end up leaving a little egg on the face of the union. Eric, it seems like the move by DPS bought them a couple weeks because the strike was going to start a couple weeks ago. Uh, the state had to take their time deciding, and then now, now the strike might happen on Monday. Does this decision by the state put DPS at a disadvantage in negotiations? I don't know if it puts DPS at a disadvantage. I've been, I thought for a while that the union really wants a strike here. I agree with Krista and Patty. I think this is about more than just money. I think uh, whether it's for organization or morale or as a broader national statement, they want a strike. I don't think they want a long strike. We talked about this last week. I think public opinion may move against them as time goes on. Uh, to Patty's point, let's hope preschool teachers, you know, maybe are equipped with some special brownies or something because uh, uh, <laughs> Uh, they may need it given the size of uh, the, uh, the numbers uh, kids are going to be dealing with uh, next week. Uh, DPS seems to in many ways have lost its mojo. Uh, whether it was Michael Bennett, Tom Bosberg, there seemed to be a vision. You might buy into the vision, you might not buy into the vision. But there was a vision, there was a direction. The whole reform community seems to be at a time of some retrenchment. Uh, the more establishment, long-time establishment in interests, which the union is first and foremost, seem to be ascendant here. I'm going to be curious where this all comes out. I don't think any of us uh, in, in whatever workplaces we're in are in settings where your compensation is not in some respect based on your value, what you produce, your merit, if we say, but teachers who want desperately to be considered professionals and are some of the most important professionals in our society, but they have this union, old age, industrial model of we all ought to be paid the same, uh, regardless of merit, regardless of what school we teach and what subject we teach, how well we do our job. And I just think history is not on that side. It might prevail short term, can't prevail long term. Natasha, how long can a strike go before uh, the teachers would start losing public support? 
Oh, <laughs> if I had an answer to that question, I probably should be at the negotiations today. Good point. Um, I, I think that will vary from individual to individual, and that will be based on their own personal circumstances. Um, and in addition to that, the teachers who are going out without pay may have a limit to what they financially will be able to do. Um, you know, one of the things I found interesting in this conversation as I've been watching the news coverage is it, it really is taking up, sort of sucking all the oxygen up in the room. It needs to happen. Teacher compensation is a topic that we, we've been inching towards both nationally and locally for a long time. So I'm, I don't want to take away from that, but I'm also reminded of how many other conversations in the education realm are now being put on a back burner to deal with this larger question. So, you know, DPS just went through the superintendent search. In, in anticipation of that, in the lead-up to that, there were a lot of community conversations about different challenges in our education system, everything from the education gap to um, how we teach to what we teach. Um, you know, last year I had the opportunity to do a story on the Keys decision um, in the period of mandatory busing in, in the Denver Public Schools and the legacy of that that still echoes today within our communities. And so as I'm watching all this, again, it's an important conversation to have, but knowing what we know with what Jared Polis has set as his agenda already, 2019 may be the year of education discussions because this is going to continue whether the strike happens or not. We will continue to talk about how our kids are being taught, about the potential of the public education system and how Denver can reach the best of that potential. President Donald Trump gave his second State of the Union speech on Tuesday, which was delayed due to the government shutdown. The president encouraged unity and warned that the only thing that could stop the momentum of the economy is foolish wars, politics, and partisan investigations. Uh, Krista, we have talked about State of the Union speeches for countless years on this show. Uh, they come and go, uh, Democrats, Republicans, it's not like any of them rise to the occasion of something that we remember more than a couple weeks later. But that's what happened this week. Was there anything out of President Trump's speech that you take away uh, as memorable? You know, I thought it was his best speech. I say this as somebody who's frequently critical of the man and his speaking abilities and tweeting abilities. I think he did a great job. I thought it was, it was diplomatic. It was statesmanlike. I like the fact that he did make a call for unity. I liked that he um, called out uh, the support for infanticide among some on the left. I thought that was, that was genius. Um, I like the priorities set upon. I like uh, the historical references to World War II. I like the guests that he pointed out. I like the fact that they sang happy birthday uh, to somebody. I thought it was really great. Um, I, as somebody who is, again, a, a, freq- a frequent cri- critic, I thought he did a great job. I also appreciated the uh, alliteration in a number of passages. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, Eric, is there anything here that uh, gives President Trump a longer bump? Because it seems, uh, in the polls, because you have, uh, I guess, I, I think really a positive outcome from uh, would either the critics or supporters saying, "Hey, he stayed on script. It 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 didn't go off the handle, and because it was on script, it it went pretty well." Can that last for a while as a positive bump, whether he polls or just his uh, support? Well, the biggest determinant of whether it lasts is Donald Trump. I mean, you know, he gets in his own way. Uh, I found the speech. I partially agree with Krista, but that's a pretty low bar we're setting, that uh, if you can read a script and stay on message, by God, you know, let's, uh, you know, let's give you a Nobel Prize or something like that. I think it would have been a much better speech if it had been half as long, if he had recognized half as many guests. 
uh, up in the gallery. And a number of those guests were very inspiring. The young girl, you couldn't help but love the young girl, 10-year-old who, who fought cancer after raising a bunch of money uh, for that cause. And I loved the two veterans uh, at the end. Uh, and, and, and that story, uh, World War II veterans, greatest generation. Uh, I just found this speech disjointed or almost dissonant. You start with this appeal to unity, and then you immediately go to this line about we can either have, what was it, peace and legislation <laughs> or war and investigation. Since when did that become a binary choice? I mean, what if I want to pick one out of column A and one out of column B? I don't know when that became uh, quite the binary choice it was. His one opportunity to really perhaps do something in a bipartisan way, perhaps is around infrastructure, that got 15 or 20 seconds. I mean, he barely touched on that. If he was really interested in bipartisanship and maybe moving the ball forward with one issue that the, the parties could co come to some agreement on, that should have been a major thrust. I think it will be quickly forgotten. I think it will largely be forgotten because Donald Trump will do something today, this weekend, whatever, that makes us all forget it. It seems to me that the whole infrastructure, infrastructure conversation is kind of like vegetables at a grocery. Everybody should get more. Everybody should pay more attention there, but they never get the headline. They're never on sale. No one cares the price of carrots, <laughs> but you know what price the flaming hot Doritos are, so I don't know. Maybe it's, the, the, it's the wrong analogy. It's not the first time, but uh, Natasha, anything from the State of the Union speech that sticks out to you that should last more than the average news cycle for these, which is usually about a week? Well, maybe that I want both flaming hot Doritos and carrots. Can <laughs> live in that world? Um, I, I will say that for, for all the calls for unity, um, if you look at the statements that were coming out from the Colorado delegation, um, politicians up and down the levels, um, there's not a lot of unity right now. So I'm not sure that that call for unity really went anywhere. Um, and certainly looking um, Stacey Abrams' speech after, after his speech, um, it was really a tale of two countries. Um, and and I, I don't think that that's a bad thing. I mean, I think that there's some advantages there and that the more voices that we have included um, in this country saying this is, the, this is the world I'm experiencing and this is what I care about is important. But I actually think her speech might have a more lasting impact, um, certainly in a, a her career, which, I mean, we can use a rising star um, sort of cliche, but it's, it's appropriate here for her. Um, I think that will have a more lasting impact. Uh, Patty, do you think this might have at least helped to expunge the negativity from the shutdown? Well, maybe a little. I think it's a remarkable that we're all amazed he actually could kind of seem coherent for an hour and 20 minutes. It could be because I was doing a shot of NyQuil every time he mentioned the wall. But <laughs> that moment when... It was a fun game. That moment when they sang happy birthday, I thought was the weirdest thing I had ever seen come out of the House of Representatives. That was a crazy one. I had talked to Tom Tancredo earlier in the day. He is currently down, now down on the border looking at the volunteer group that wants to build the wall for Trump because it's clear we are not going to get anything out of Washington. <laughs> Just think about Tom Tancredo running a whole volunteer program at the border. It, Talk about silly things coming out of a legislature. Okay. He's advising. Yeah, advising. Okay, that, that makes sense. Former Colorado Speaker of the House, Andrew Romanoff, announced this week that he will be running for the U.S. Senate in 2020. He joins former Colorado State Senator Mike Johnston, who announced his, can his own candidacy last week. Romanoff's campaign announcement was followed by an outline of his support for the Green New Deal, aimed to replace fossil fuels with renewable energy. 
Uh, Eric, uh, Andrew Romanoff is no stranger to uh, bloody primaries. He was happy to go against an incumbent to Michael Bennett, so he's not afraid of it. Uh, is he up? Do you think he's up to this challenge if we already know Mike Johnson is there in a race that may or may not include a certain former governor of, the United, of uh, Colorado? We will see. I mean, uh, Andrew is certainly used to bloody primaries. The problem is he's usually one bloodied, or at least that's been the, the history of it. Uh, we'll see if he can change that history and come out on top here. This is going to be a wild show. We've already talked about it a couple times around this table. But between Andrew Romanoff and Mike Johnston, you have a lot of political talent and more than that, a lot of ego and a lot of conflicting ambition between the two of them and probably no love lost. You add into that mixed crusade to Duran, who I think is probably going to announce before too much longer. Maybe John Walsh, former U.S. attorney for Colorado, who has some substantial popularity, at least within the Denver Democratic Party. And we're not even talking about the two big names. One is Ed Perlmutter, who I think is probably not there, but he hasn't officially, to my knowledge, taken himself out of it. And he would be a presumptive kind of guy if he got in. And then the other obvious one is John Hickenlooper who I just got a press release driving over here, is heading to New Hampshire next week for some uh, appearances, uh, but hasn't yet formally announced for president, and this could be the, the parachute option. Uh, secondly, lastly, Romanoff's announcement is just an indication of how far left this Democratic Party is moving, whether it's the Green New Deal, Medicare for All. Uh, I don't know. I mean, Democrats are totally ascended in this state demographically in terms of their issues, et cetera. Just a question of how far you can push it. And uh, that, that, that message may win Romanoff a primary, or at least it will put him in the game. I yet haven't seen Andrew win a statewide primary. But uh, is that the message that's going to dislodge Cory Gardner uh, November a year from now? It's going to be interesting. Natasha, you spoke in the last point about the rising stars uh, amongst the Democratic Party. Andrew Romanoff was considered one of the brightest rising stars about 15 years ago, 2004, Speaker of the House. It is a big deal. A couple losses since then have, have dulled, I guess, that shine. Uh, is this kind of a make or break for him in this primary? Well, I think politicians have, have proven time and time again that there are plenty of ways to do a second act or a third act or even a fourth act. So that, that'll be up to him. Um, certainly a lot of people have moved into the state since that time as well and may not be as familiar with his name or that history. Um, that would be a similar situation with Mike Johnson, although that was revived a little bit with the, um, the governor's race. Um, I think the name to focus on right now may not be the, the Democratic challengers, but, but Cory Gardner himself. Um, you know, a few weeks ago when the shutdown was in full swing. It looked like he was maybe going to break some some party lines and sort of redefine may, maybe what, where he was going or what his campaign will be doing. Flash forward a few weeks, he's an early, or a few weeks later, he's an early endorser of President Trump's re-election campaign, which kind of puts him right back into the, the fold. So what will be interesting to me is that this is going to be a very different campaign for him. Um, this is going to be a campaign with probably historic turnout in Colorado. It'll be um, a presidential year, so the, the, the people who come out to vote um, will be different if it follows historical trends in the past. And so he's going to have to um, have a very different um, re-election campaign than he than he did his first time around. So I'm, I, I don't want to get distracted by just what's going on in the, that, the one primary. I want to also focus on what he's, he's doing to, to launch his own re-election campaign. 
again, keep trying to provide logic and, and common sense, this whole political thing. You'll, you'll eventually <laughs> learn, uh, learn, learn, learn better at this table, Natasha, but, but good job for this time. Uh, Patty, do you think, uh, if, if you're Cory Gardner, and from who we know are running right now, who do you think he wants to see as his opponent? Oh, I think at this point, it's too early to say. I think um, Mike Johnston, because he just had a a statewide race, would be a little more worrisome than Andrew Romanoff, who comes in still looking wounded from his last attempt. And let's not forget, since Natasha went rogue, I'm going to too, that that Kaufman, Mike Kaufman, who defeated Romanoff, is now going to run for mayor of Aurora, and Ryan Frazier's running for mayor of Aurora. So we've got a lot of talent out there in these campaigns. Um, I think... The election in the senatorial election may not be so much Gardner versus a Democrat, but SUV and truck drivers versus green electric car drivers. Because this new green deal, when you people, Coloradans love the environment, they love to talk about the environment, but they love to be able to get to the mountains too. And all of a sudden, you kind of have Tim Jackson, faithful watcher of this show, who's filed suit because of Colorado following California for the emissions issue, we're going to have a lot of people who suddenly are like, I love the environment, but I still want to be able to get up there. And we could see some division coming on this new Green Deal. Chris, to wrap it up for us, what do you think of the announcement? Uh, you know, I think he's, I think he's to stick with the, uh, the new Green Deal and trumpet it loud and wide because, you know, Coloradans are going to hate it. Once they read the resolution and the supporting material, they'll realize that they're not going to get to eat meat or do air travel. They have to, like, rebuild their house and, you know, give, give away their car. I, I think when they see what's in there and realize that it's uh, – a, a terrible idea that's not even scientifically possible. Once you get rid of nuclear power, you really can't survive on, on wind and, and sun. You've got to have something, be it natural gas or nuclear power. I think anybody who, who reads it is going to be stunned by how silly the idea is. So if he champions this, um, it's going to be great for Cory Gardner. Let's get to our favorite part of the show, Disgrace of the Week. And as always, Ms. Cahoon, please start us off. I'm going to return to the continuing disgrace of what's going on at the Department of Interior now with the um, acting director, David Bernhardt, proposed to take over for Zenke. There, The number of prosecutions are down, oil and gas drilling around the country, the licenses are up. We're going to see some real issues. Let's ignore the cars for the moment. Let's be sure that we still have some land for the cars to drive on. <laughs> Krista. Is this something negative? Or we had something, something positive. Something negative. A something disgrace negative. of the week. You know, I'm going to go with vaccine rates. A new report just came out said that we are still under-vaccined in this, country, in this country, but also specifically in this state, and that uh, there are still way too many parents that are not vaccinating their kids, and that puts really all of the kids and all of us in danger. So I'm glad the report came out. It shows the expense of actually not vaccinating, that you get thousands of kids every year into hospitals for vaccine-preventable diseases. I think something like $55 million spent by those, the, the bills associated with those diseases. And you know what? I think it might be just time to get rid of any non-medical exemption. Let's get our kids vaccinated. They're worried about a whole measles outbreak in Washington State, yeah. right? Yeah, That's like a, a third-world country. Madagascar, the Philippines, and Washington State. <laughs> <laughs> Not a club you want to join. Eric? Well, we're debating plastic straws or whatever else is uh, for levity and entertainment at the Colorado State Capitol. We can be grateful we're not the state of Virginia. (laughs) What a circus from the governor 
to the lieutenant governor or those allegations against the lieutenant governor look more substantive all the time now to the attorney general and then just to make the story even richer i don't see all three of them stepping aside but if that happened then the the, the line of succession goes to the speaker of the house who is a republican and is only the speaker of the house because of a draw out of a hat in one legislative district where there was a dead tie vote and they drew names out of a hat and that's why the republicans have a one vote majority in the virginia house of delegates you couldn't write this stuff house of cards whatever screenwriter can't write this stuff and it is just wacky but i do feel bad for the people of virginia yeah, it's becoming an episode of designated survivor <laughs> yeah, okay uh natasha and we followed the case involving susan green um around this table i guess not a case uh, this that arrest and situation um finally the the detectives have been disciplined i have to say i i actually googled how to act like a lady yesterday <laughs> just because i was curious i'm still confused by that particular statement its relevancy in any sort of interaction um in 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 2018 and 2019 time to say something nice patty i'm going to say something nice about loveland which is just so charming at this time of year they're having their first sweetheart festival for valentine's day but while the love fest continues i want to congratulate you dominic on becoming station manager (laughs) at colorado public television and putting up with us every every week that's probably your reward (laughs) that is is very kind of you uh it was uh it's a a distinct honor and it was all all part of the deal that i get to stay around here as long as this table will have me so but thank you very much patty Krista. I want to say, I want to give a shout out to the guy that strangled a cougar with his own hands, which is awesome. I mean, I, I mean, pumas are beautiful creatures, obviously, but one is trying to eat you and kill you, and you actually, like, strangle it with your own hands. Like, I, as a single woman, I, I kind of want to go out with that guy. That, that's amazing. <laughs> that is like manliness at a level that I rarely see. That dude doesn't pay for another drink in a bar <laughs> the rest of his life. I, I completely agree. Eric. I was going to the same place Patty was to, to, to you, Dominic. Uh, I hope you have better luck managing the statement, the station, than you do uh, this uh, this table, this panel. But uh, no, you, it's richly, richly earned. Let me also, real quickly, if we have a, a half a second, mm-hmm. there's an art exhibit at the Denver Art Museum featuring a young artist named Jordan Castile. Uh, her parents, Lauren Castile, Charles Castile, are relatively well known around this community. We were fortunate enough to see Jordan growing up because our daughter was a, a classmate of hers all through uh, grade school and high school. Uh, she is an accomplished artist now residing in Harlem with a real new take uh, on black portraiture. It's at the Denver Art Museum through, until August, and our viewers should get there. Here, here. Natasha. Well, since I'm going rogue today, I'm going to connect sports with politics and the economy. Lindsey Vaughn is um, running her last race um, this weekend before retirement. Um, she's done an incredible um, job of being an ambassador for the skiing industry, which is so important to our economy and to our political system. Absolutely. Here, here. I want to say something nice about Irv Brown, who passed away this week. I had the great pleasure to, of meeting the Colorado sports and media legend. He was everything you've heard and so much more. Uh, what I have most enjoyed is all the stories from so many people in our community where he's made such an impact. Uh, I've, I never had the courage to call into his radio show and get in the hunt, but if the question was, name one of the most influential figures in Carlos sports, it's easy to get in the hunt on that one just by saying Irv Brown. Godspeed, sir.
That is all the time we have for this episode of Colorado Inside Out. Thanks for tuning in. I want to remind you, you can catch Colorado Inside Out in so many different ways beyond the broadcast. We have a podcast, we're on YouTube, Twitter, and on video.cpt12.org. Be sure to check us out. For everyone here at CPT12, I'm Dominic DeSuti. Thank you so much for watching. Good night. Thank you.